Welcome to the Holy Spirit's Curriculum of Joy podcast. My name is Wanaka Oberhuber, and I'm your host. My guest today is Kim Eikhoff. Hi. Hello. Yeah, it's great hearing you. So I'd like to ask a question that I like to ask at the beginning that you can expand on and take your time with. How did you get to see the world the way you do today? Just a little question. <laughs> yes. Um, for me, it was growing up in a very conservative, I would say conservative religious, conservative political area and household and kind of church that I was in at the time. And knowing that kind of who I was at my core was not necessarily who, who they wanted me to be. That And so having to deal with a lot of, um, just kind of messages that I learned about myself. I knew really early on that I was gay and when, and I knew very early on that it was not okay to talk about that in my household and in the church that I was in. I was a, I was a Methodist in a Methodist church growing up. Um, so I, I learned how to keep it quiet and to hide it. And I think all of those things really made me go more introspective to understand more about who I was because I had a lot of conflicting messages about, you know, that I wasn't okay, basically. And so um, I had to figure out how to be okay, if that makes sense. You want me to keep talking? <laughs> Do you have any other questions? Either you mute your um, mute when you want me to talk for you, <laughs> or you continue talking. It's up to you. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's go deeper into that, into this dis, yeah, this disrespect of your experience of who you are. This having to make it taboo, not being allowed to speak about it. Not. I don't know if you ever were able to in that period of your life to find people you could speak with but anyways and who were positive about about who you are and, and your ideas but anyways it would be interesting to hear more about that well no no i mean not for a long time so i mean like i said i was very aware probably the age of seven second grade that i was different and i knew i had crushes on girls as i kind of grew up you know as i grew through high school and that sort of thing um, but I dated guys. I played the straight game. I mean, I had long hair, wore lots of makeup, had boyfriends, all that stuff, but knew deep down that I wasn't right. I did. I don't know that I put the term gay to it for a long time, but I knew deep down that it didn't, it didn't fit. Um, but when I went to college and I didn't know anybody who was gay, like I didn't know, I grew up in the South also in, in America. So it's, you know, much more conservative overall. Um, and I'm in a, in, outside of Atlanta is where I grew up. And so I just, I didn't know anybody that was similar. I didn't know if there were any people in the church that 
were okay with it. Like nobody talked about the good part of it or being okay with it. Most people talked about, you know, how they didn't, they didn't like it. So I kept it hidden for a long time, probably until about I was 20 when I went to college and I got away from my family was when I started to really, I guess, get more in touch with who I was, come to terms with who I was. And then again, it was just a lot of internal work trying to find kind of my value based on who I am as a human and my connection to spirit or source or, you know, kind of what that was. Cause what I was learning growing up in the church didn't fit for me. I did not, it was really hard for me to go there and feel like this is a very nurturing place, right? Like it was, all the messages were pretty negative for me. And so I basically walked away from Christianity for a long time. It was just, you know, I couldn't deal with it because it, it just didn't fit. And so as I studied more like other different religions, Buddhism, and I got really into yoga, um, and I eventually found kind of meta metaphysical teachings and new thought that I really connected with. And through those, I guess, learnings and teachings and really kind of exploring more about that came to I guess understand Christianity in a very different way from a metaphysical standpoint, which I really that I really did connect with. And then I started to see it's like, oh, it's not, it's not really Christianity I really have a problem with. It's the people interpreting or interpreting, right, Christianity that are are using it as a weapon in a sense. So that's kind of what happened. And a lot of therapy. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite a journey. And the thing is, with things like that, it starts to define you, right? And I'm sure you had much more going for you, but you couldn't look at it as as clearly because of this barrier, because of this thing being always in the forefront uh, and in the way of actually getting to know yourself more deeply and all your qualities and all your talents and so on. Having to put so much focus on one area of your life um, instead of being able to look at yourself fully, how did you bridge that gap? I mean, you you started speaking about the metaphysical teachings and this new new thought systems and so on, but how did you bridge that gap? Because you must have got beyond that at some point in your life. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the first things that I started to do when I was about 14 was I started playing the guitar and I started writing songs. And so for me, I think that became very therapeutic. I could say things through music that people didn't really know what I was talking about. It was, it was kind of in code, right? But I understood what I was talking about. So it was a way for me to express myself. That was a big thing. And I, I did music for a long time and I thought I would be a musician and a singer songwriter. Like that was my, that my goal for a long time in high school and college. Um, that was one way. Another way was through therapy. I did a lot of therapy. I started again when I was probably 20, 21. When I first started to really put terms to what I was feeling, I was like, I need to talk to somebody who could help me, um, you know, come to terms with this and be okay with it. Because there was all this internal homophobia that was going on where I believed it was bad and I believed I was going to hell. And so I had to figure out, you know, how do I live with this basically, you know? The other piece was the more I started to talk about it and tell friends about it before I even told my parents, um, the, the less heavy I felt, the more that weight lifted off of me. And it just, every time I was honest with somebody about it, 
I just felt more and more, I guess, alive and in tune with who I was. And then the spiritual path became really important. So I started, um, I think, well, I think Unitarian Universalism was the first kind of foray outside of Christianity. Then I went into Buddhism and really, I really got into meditation. I found that very helpful for me to be become really aware of my thoughts and my feelings and understand that they weren't me necessarily. They were there from lots of other places and I had you know, absorbed things I had learned over the years. And so these old beliefs weren't true necessarily, but they were still there. So I could see them and start to distance myself from them, have some space. Um, and then the metaphysical teachings, I was out in Colorado and they have a great church out there called Mile High. And I started going there really regularly. They did like, you know, the Christmas celebration and, and Easter, but they would tell the story from a metaphysical standpoint. And again, it was just like, Oh, this makes sense. This makes much more sense to me than than the, you know, I guess the realistic version of, of those things. Um, but just in a lot of journaling, I mean, it's just kind of been this full thing of just deep diving into pieces. Um, but I would say really connecting more to who I am on a spiritual plane, you know, and understanding that more and that who I am really isn't even all this stuff it doesn't really even matter so and i became i got really into eckhart tolle so i loved his practices and his teaches about teachings about presence and i've gone to several of his retreats so um yeah i would say it's a combination of all those pieces and is consistently working on them Yeah, and I, I think that that type of thing is 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 difficult for everyone, independent of whether they're gay, straight, or whatever else there is out there. There's many different descriptions and many different experiences of people, but sexuality is a huge issue for everyone, right? Getting to be able to live with these feelings that are so strong, right, that they take up so much space in your life, and then yet continuing with all these other things that you love to do right because it is it's such a strong um distraction as so to speak but it can also but you must have been able to do some twists into making it into a superpower and and growing with it yeah i mean i i think what it has helped me do especially in the work that i do now is it forced me outside of the box, right? I wasn't, I grew up in a very wealthy white wasp household. And so this thing that was made me different, even though nobody really knew about it for a long time, it forced me to look at, I think, life differently and have a very different perspective on things. And so I, I don't know, I, I don't know if I learned empathy from this or not, but I, I certainly learned how to um, hear other people's stories and to not judge them quickly, you know, to allow them to have whatever their story is to understand it. Um, it's helped me just have more compassion for other people. Even, even with my parents, like we have a great relationship now, but for 30, well, for 20 years anyway, it was really rough and we fought a lot, you know, and they couldn't understand it and they wanted me to be different. And I, was just like, and at some point I had to just stop trying to make them change and see who I was. Um, 
And I was just like, I just have to live my life. And whether they're going to see I'm happy and hopefully that makes a difference or they're not. And I can't, you know, I can't make them change. And I remember at some point having the realization that um, they are on their own journey and they're not doing this to be terrible parents because they really weren't. They were very loving people and they still are. And they're still around, but they they were just on their journey. They had their own beliefs about things. And I think I think it's really scary when you are being challenged in your beliefs and your your ego may be so tied up in them. It's you know you're asking people to let go of something that really defines who they are. And I at some point that I guess that dawned on me, and I was just like, I can't be angry at them anymore. I can't you know try to change them anymore. All I can do is live my best life life and just hopefully you know things will work out and it has things are much better now they're they're very different people and i i often moved away that helped i think i moved away to an entirely different state across the country so that helped a lot too but i moved back now and things are they're still pretty good so yeah it's been a it's been a journey that's for sure yeah that's one of the things i would have asked you about is how did you overcome this this anger towards people who are judging you because that that took up a lot of your life energy right to be angry at at the world for judging you and others right it was not just you because there's always judgments it's, it doesn't matter what what you have or what who you are you're always being judged so no matter what your lifestyle is there's always going to be something that you can are judged on and you will resent other people for judging you about and you will judge other people about things and they will resent you so how do we move on from there because we're all doing that and we need to to learn to move on from there because we all have weaknesses we have strengths we have qualities and and we tend to judge ourselves about our weaknesses or about whatever else and not see our strengths at all <laughs> at times Yeah, and I, I think when you, I know for me anyway, when I felt so judged, I that made me very judgy, right? I would I would fire right back at people like, you know, you're an idiot, you don't understand, you know. So we'd get into these these big fights about that. Um, I think for me, the judgment. I don't know if it stopped necessarily. I don't think it probably truly stopped 100, percent but it definitely got better as I. I stopped looking for other people's approval. And I think at that point when the judgment didn't matter as much anymore, it's kind of like, it doesn't, I don't really, it doesn't really, it did not matter what they really believed about it at some point. That's when, that's how I got to. So that helped me obviously accepting myself, but also not turning around and judging everybody else. So trying to be more compassionate to where they are on their journey and, you know, just understand, even if I don't get it, it's not what I would do or whatever. It doesn't mean, mean my way is right and their way is wrong. It's just that's where we all are, you know, on our journeys. I will say too, the other thing that helped me with that was yoga. I did a ton, I did a yoga teacher training program about, gosh, I think about 20 years ago now, 2000, 2001, something like that. And um, I did a ton of yoga in that program where, I mean, every day we had to do like an hour, hour and a half of yoga. And it was for probably a 10 week period or 10 month period, sorry. Um, 
and there was something about the physical practice that released a lot of emotions. I think I had trapped in my body, if you believe in that kind of thing, you know, so especially like in the hips and that sort of stuff where your emotions tend to be. And so after, you know, 10 months of yoga, consistent yoga like that, I realized that my anger had really dissipated against my parents. And I was like, it's different. I hadn't been doing talk therapy or anything that whole time. So I was like, what's different? And I was like, ooh, ooh, all the yoga. And so I talked to my teacher about it and she said, oh yeah, that could totally be a part. And it just, it never came back after that. So it, it was interesting of the timing. So I think that was really helpful. Yeah, that, that's beautiful that that was able to drop and has never come back. So it shows you that whenever that this type of judgment comes up, maybe different, maybe less, and or a different style of it, that that you can actually go beyond that. And I think that's a beautiful message for everyone because, you know, we think we we can't do anything about it, right? <laughs> it's going to last, and we don't find a handle to to go beyond that. And then we're like, oh my god. Is there anyone out there who's able to get past this? <laughs> and, and so your your story of how you got past um, at least a, a big chunk of it is, is really helpful for for us all to gain hope about it. Yeah, and one of the other things I would like to mention in connection with this is in A Course in Miracles, it speaks of in defenselessness or safety lies. And you were speaking how you no longer had to be right or wrong about things. You, you just were where you were at that time and were able to sit with that or, or live with that. Yeah, like that. Yeah, that's very true. I think when we get so um, attached to our beliefs about something, and I don't know if it's ego, something we identify with, it, you can't, you get very angry if somebody doesn't agree with you. Right. Like, and that was my mom. So she's very clear on what she believes with Christianity and Jesus. And she will, she almost preaches it at you. Right. But if you challenge it, she gets frustrated and angry. Um, or she used to. And, and when I was younger and that part for me was always, you know, it's like, well, you say you want us to question, you say you want us to talk to you about it, but then it makes you mad because it's different from what you believe you know so yeah so i think getting to that place where it's just like this is my journey and where i am and this is what i believe it doesn't mean everybody else has to believe this way it just means this is what i know is my truth and i think when you do that and you ground into that and you live from that space i don't know it takes the the fire out of it the ammunition out of it so then it's just you doing your thing and there's nothing anybody can say that's it's like okay you don't have to like it so not really going to matter too much you know but I, I have a harder time with that around pop certain political issues i will say but yeah with my own um, personal journey i've gotten better about that so yeah i think i think this this issue of, of being angry or annoyed or, or wanting to defend oneself or attacking something we all um, are personally attached to to its outcome, to what what we do with it, and so on. So, and and you know, hiding weaknesses, trying to 
trying to make something a strength that isn't, perhaps, and so on. These are all things we all have to deal with. And it looks like you have really had to go deep into these subjects and be reflect about them in many ways. I'm not saying that we not everyone does that. I don't know how deep everyone goes. Everyone may go to a different level with it. But I think it's very important to talk about it and to, to share about it. So what would you say if, if someone went through similar things that you went through, how how could they move through it more smoothly or or, or easier having the benefit of your experience to to use or, or to utilize for their own path? That is a really good question. Um, well, I'll say what what I find interesting is that moving back to the South, I moved back about a year and a half ago, and I have met several other gay women who are about my age, I'm 52, so in their 50s or 60s, and and I've talked to people here and it, you know, I didn't, I lived in Colorado before and we, I didn't have this experience as much there, but what I'm having here is that they, a lot of them still struggle with the same issue, right? With religion, being gay. And to me, that's, it's just very, I don't know, sad's the right word. I don't want to pity anybody, but it's just, it's unnecessary in my estimation. And so I guess part of the conversations that I have is that, um, if you grow if you grow up in a religion like Christianity or any kind of organized religion that tells you anything about who you are is bad or wrong, that to me should be a very big red flag because I don't think spirituality is supposed to do that, right? It's supposed to lift you up. It's supposed to help you get more in touch with that that piece of who you really are, your value. I mean, we all have some value being here. I mean, just being alive, we have value. So. And a religion that doesn't do that, and it's not even the religion, but it's the people, right, preaching the religion. So if they're up there or in the, the audience telling you anything about yourself is wrong, it doesn't have to be gay, but any piece of it, and you know it's who you really are, and it's a, and you're not hurting people. You know, I'm not trying to say you're doing something bad, so that's okay. But if, if you're, you know, just this is who you really are, and you're living your life, and it's and you're being told that you're, wrong i mean one that should be a big red flag that that's probably not a healthy place to be period and it also means it's not the teachings that are bad necessarily it's the people that are interpreting it i'm not saying they're bad but they're interpreting in a way that is meant to control right everybody in a certain way or people in their church in a certain way or um, kind of motivate them in a certain way so that piece but doing more of your own searching i think going out and finding your own spiritual path that makes sense for you if that's what you feel called to do i think it's really important i think that's you know i don't just because you're gay or you have some other thing it doesn't mean obviously you can't be spiritual you're not spiritual you i mean we all are so find what fits for you and it may be different every path is different every person is different um but i think just knowing that your value is who you are is what's important. And that's really hard when you're in the midst of all that because you're getting really bad messages about yourself. So 
Um, I would, I, I mean, I would recommend therapy first of all. And then also, um, I mean, I think yoga, meditation, anything that gets you quiet and helps you listen, you know, to who, what's going on internally and what you're being guided to do, I think is really important. And the more we get in touch with that, and the more we understand who that person is, person, um, I think the more we live from that place and the more in alignment we are with who we are. And then, you know, you start to know these are the right choices for me. This is the right next step to take, or this is the right action to take, or these are the right people to hang out with, you know, and then you surround yourself with the people that lift you up versus the people that pull you down. But it takes work. I mean, you definitely have to look at yourself and be willing to do that. Yeah. When did you get the, the notion that you were not alone? with your issues or with the things that were going on in your life? Um, well, I think the first, I guess, time I felt like I wasn't alone was when I told, so I'd fallen in love with this girl across the hall from me in college and her roommate and I were really, really good friends. And we ended up leaving the school we were at, we both ended up in Nashville. She was at Vanderbilt and I was at Belmont. And we were at a party one night or something. And what this we were just hanging out at our house and we were talking. And so we played this game, of course, for college kids. And she's like, let's tell each other a secret. We've never told anybody. And I'm like, okay. So of course I know what my secret is. And then she tells me something. And so then I tell her mine. I said, I think I'm gay. And she was like, Okay, and she just stared at me. I said, and I think I'm in love with this person that your your roommate. And she's like, Oh my God, that makes so much sense. Like you were actually you act crazy around her sometimes when her boyfriend's around, and, and I would, I would get so upset and jealous and all this stuff. And so telling her though, and her validation, and she was just very welcoming about it, open and loving, and you know, totally understood. And then I was I was starting therapy at that time, and she said, "Have you told your therapist?" And I was like, "No, I'm scared to tell." I was going to therapy, but I wasn't telling my therapist about it. And so she encouraged me to tell her, and so I did, and you know that kind of started the journey. But that was probably the first time that somebody said something. The other kind of funny story is that um, when I was in high school. I lived in Decatur, Georgia, which is where the Indigo Girls are from, which is a lesbian rock band or you know folk rock band, and they're pretty famous now. But I, I at the time they were just starting out, and I was walking from the high school with some of my friends from high school one evening, and we were going up to this restaurant, and we walked through this yard or this uh, not yard, but this the square basically, and the Indigo Girls were playing on stage. I didn't know who they were at the time, but, and there were women everywhere, just sitting on blankets, you know, watching the show, having dinner and that kind of stuff. And I felt that vibe when I got in there, I was just like, I don't, I don't want to leave. Like, this feels like the right place to hang out for me. Of course, these people were a lot older than I was. And my friends were like, no, 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 let's go to dinner. Let's go to dinner. And so we, we kept going and I didn't get to hang out, but I will never forget like that. And that was kind of my first thing. I was probably 16, 17, no, 17, 18, something like that. That was my first inkling that there might be people out there like me. And I just, you know, I just didn't know they were there. So those were kind of the, the two, I guess, initial triggers that let me know that. Yeah, I think that's very significant, this 
move from feeling alone with something and then realizing that you're not alone in no matter what way you find out you know some people find out through books others through because they open up and think maybe there's a book about this right and it might be their first step and so on and so forth so there's many ways yeah let's see what what topic would you like to go into when it comes to spirituality because we were speaking about this and this depth of of learning that you went through and how it opened your mind to realize that spirituality per se doesn't have a an opinion in the sense of judging um who you are it, it, because as long as as long as you are extending love um there no open-minded spiritual teaching will have any problem with you being who you whoever you are right so what should we go into about well i think um i mean for me my biggest challenge with my my own that's a challenge i guess but how how my mind works is very busy right? It always goes a million miles a minute, or always has. And so when I discovered meditation for myself and mindfulness practices, that became sort of, I, I knew immediately, I was in a, I did a master's in counseling, and I was in a stress management class. And our professor said, I'm going to teach you a stress management tool, and I'm going to teach you a little bit about meditation. And so he had us probably for five minutes, close our eyes, you know, and let us do kind of this very, very brief meditation to follow your breath. And that was probably the first time that, and my mind stopped for probably a split second, but I knew in that moment that that's really what I needed, that I had to stop this or at least be aware of it in order to get in tune with what was deeper this was making a lot of noise and i couldn't hear what was deeper and so that one little meditation practice opened me up and i started researching how to you know meditate basically and this was before the internet but i somehow i found john kabat-zinn stuff and i ordered tapes of his and i just started meditating more and more and more and so for me, really, the path to spirituality and understanding that depth was getting quiet and allowing that space to be there to feel connected, if that makes sense. Um, and then it morphed into other things. Like I ended up becoming, I got really into cycling out in Colorado. And the mountains in Colorado, if you've ever been there, I mean, they're magnificent, you know, and beautiful, that we would do these bike rides where we would ride up, you know, 4,000 feet up to 10,000 feet and be able to see these amazing vistas, you know, the, of the mountains and the snow and the trees and all that. And you can't, well, I, I mean, I don't know how you can, but you can't be in that environment and see that and not feel something deeper, you know, or at least that's how I felt about it. So cycling for me became not only a physical sport, but a very much of a spiritual practice. Because it was like when I was on those bike rides, it was really just about being in that moment, in that presence, and feeling it and watching it. Um, and I think like with studying Eckhart Tolle's stuff and 
So the yoga, I think the learning more about the ego became a big piece too, to understand that, you know, sometimes organized religion takes on this ego piece and that's, they get very attached to that and that that's what's happening. And to know that that's not really spirituality, it's just religion. And they're very different, you know, they don't, they're not necessarily the same thing. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a big topic. What is religion? What is spirituality? Is it, can it be both? Can you be, have both and, and be open-minded and loving and so on? And I believe so. So I, I will not say just because someone is in an organized religion that they can't be open-minded and loving and kind. So I'd say, yes, they can be. So even there, you need to look deeper when you meet people and are with them. So yeah, it's very, very important to, to open your own mind and be willing and, and find a way, right? I know that I've had plenty of prejudices. I wouldn't have been able to have this type of conversation a, lot, a while, um, I don't know how many years ago, but wouldn't have been possible <laughs> to have it in this way. So there's anyways, so we all go through these things and find, but finding a way to, to open our minds and be willing to engage is really important. I think that for you, one of the main factors there was spirituality to, to allow yourself to re-engage with people that you wouldn't have been able to continue engaging with without it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I agree. I, you can be, certainly, you can be religious and spiritual at the same time, certainly. I just, I don't think they're, you know, I don't, if somebody says they're religious, I don't automatically assume they're spiritual, you know? So it's like, does that, what does that mean for you? And that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, um, it's definitely, I was, I remember being in an airport not too long ago. And, you know, when you go in the line to the security, Thing. usually you're kind of snaking around and you pass the same people over and over again you know as you go and you wind your way and I for some reason all of a sudden this feeling came over me of like I was just seeing souls versus people it was interesting and so I would look at them and I would kind of see them different and I kind of you know I saw their physical form obviously and what they're doing and their personality but they were sensing something deeper than that and when I can and I can't do that always, but when that moment hits or I'm in that presence like that, that to me is what spirituality is. It's like you feel that connection to these other people. You don't know at all, you know, and it's, a, it's you know, just a very deep connection. And then same thing with animals. I love animals and just watching like the deer come through my backyard or the birds or my dogs or my cats or, um, or even just the trees and the mountain. I mean, all those things to me are all about spirituality, the nature, because they're all connected to that same energy. And that was the difference for me too with Christianity was that Christianity I grew up in taught you that God was outside of you versus part of you, right? And then Jesus was, you know, this character, this person, this teacher, savior <clears throat> that we would never be like, he was very different. And I think what I learned a lot through the metaphysical teaching was that Jesus is the great um, example, not the exception. And so 
when we, you know, try to become more like Jesus, it's about those internal pieces, you know, and connecting to those. And I don't, that was a, what that was a problem that I had with Christianity before even the gay thing was this whole God is out here, you know, and you are you, and you have to pray to God to be forgiven and all this kind of stuff. I didn't, I never, that never made sense to me. And I think for me, what it is that that energy is in all of us and, you know, we have access to the same, to the same energy. And yes, there are these individuals that, you know, if you want to believe in the stories that they, they led these lives and we can learn like in Buddha, Jesus, whoever it is, you can learn from all of these things, but it doesn't mean you can't be like them in some sense. I'm not saying I'm Jesus, but you can, you know, you can certainly emanate the same qualities and it's not external and you're not, something's not giving it to you. It's already there. You just have to access it. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful to be aware of that, that it's in within us. And of course, in miracles, it even says things like there's only one ego and there's only one Holy Spirit. So we actually are thinking with the same mind. So that makes it even more interesting when you start coming up with the idea that you could be special. If you're thinking with the same mind, how special can you be? <laughs> I think, you know, like uh, Eckhart always talks about how presence is expressing itself through us, right? Which I think of the same presence, God, source, energy, all those things to me are the same. And so we are here to basically allow this presence to be expressed and we all express it in different ways. So I have certain talents and abilities. And when I am in alignment, I am expressing, you know, that life through me. Um, but yeah, it's the same stuff. And so we just all express it differently. And sometimes, you know, you're rich and famous, I guess. And sometimes you're just like what I do. You just, you know, do your thing and, you know, help people as much as you can. But yeah, it's all different, I guess, level. Um, but none, neither is bad or good or better or worse than the other. You know, it's all the same kind of stuff. Yeah. That's important to be aware of, right? That the that the the way you express it may be due to your special function, as A Course in Miracles speaks of. But it doesn't say that you're not thinking with the same mind. You're not expressing with the same, so to speak, tools <laughs> as everyone else. So yeah. Uh, are there any questions or comments at this point or sharings? Go ahead, Julie. Hi, hi, Kim. Thank you so. Hi, thank you so much for sharing. Um, I do. You you have such a rich um, background, lots of experiences. I I'm just curious what you do now, um, to share knowledge with people. I I wasn't clear on wasn't, um, how you spread the you spread the joy here. Joy here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Julie. Um. So I, right now, what I do is I call myself a business coach, essentially. So I help small business owners with their businesses. And I do that mostly through helping them be more aware. I call it being authentic, right? So being I, I aware of who you are, kind of with the stuff we were talking about. And then 
how do you bring that forth in your business? And then how do you train people, coach other employees, that sort of thing, so that you're creating a space that I call it an inspired business, I guess. So a business that you love coming to and you love working in that can help other people um, kind of do the same thing. So if I have a if I have a business that I'm excited to be about and I have employees and they're coming in and they're able to you know use their skills and abilities to the best they can, and they love being there, then I feel like it's a win-win. You know, you're creating a great space for everybody. There's so many toxic places to work, you know, in our age, unfortunately. Um, so I'm just trying to do a little bit where I help, I guess, create healthy places to work, inspired places to work. The other thing that I do is I, I still am a singer-songwriter, and I kind of what I'm moving into now is I'm working on writing a book. I keep trying to say that out loud so that I can actually hear myself say that, but I'm writing a book and then I actually want to do more speaking engagements, I guess, around the kind of this stuff, the things that I've learned, um, the tools that I've, I've practiced. I've put together a lot of the tools that I practice into a process I call shift. And so I like teaching people that process. Um, which basically helps them gain a lot more awareness about who they are and then some some tools to heal some stuff. And so that's really my long-term goal. <laughs> so we'll see where that all ends up. But I use that process now with business owners and teams and things like that to help them really just communicate better and learn how to create healthier relationships, hopefully. So I hope that answers your question. Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm a psychotherapist and I would say I, I have so much similar kind of um, theology as you and I'm, you know, writing, Wanako knows I'm writing a book as well and um, two books, but it's about and my focus is on uh, the home, creating peaceful homes by using self-awareness. Same kind of concept you're doing at work. So it is very interesting to me, everything you're saying. So. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, that's awesome. I would love to read your book when it comes out because I think it's so. Yeah, I mean, we just need we need so many people teaching these things. I think because we have so many so many problems in a lot of ways. But that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah, we go in and out of awareness. You know what I mean? People do, and there's levels. I think of of um, ability to think on a higher level. Yeah, you know, it's a practice like and that's why I, you know, I choose the meditation and the yoga, like being able to get yourself to stay in that higher level, taking care of your body so you can feel good. You have to feel good to be able to hear these, you know, higher level thoughts. So very interesting. Right. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we might away might as well segue into that topic of of business and writing and these things that you were speaking of. But I think that I love the idea to have a business where people are happy to be there and enjoy what what they're doing there. Because as you said, there's many possibilities to create a toxic workspace for people. So <laughs> there's plenty of options there. So you're, you're showing us that there's probably plenty of options to make it a, a beautiful workplace where people love being. And that, I think that's really, really beautiful to, to support people in coming up with these things, you know, and, 
maybe you would like to speak a little bit more about the shift, the, the process that you call the shift even. I know the word shift is very popular with, with um, many people. I mean, even some of the famous people <laughs> have their movies about it and so on and so forth. So, but let, let's talk about what, what the shift is for you or what this process you call the shift is. Sure. So what I noticed about myself as I've, you know, aged is that the same problems would show up over and over again. It could be a relationship problem. It could be a financial problem. Um, and I would do work around it. It would maybe get, you know, healed or solved a little bit, but then it would seem to come back and it would seem to be in the same way. I went through a period of time where I was in it was like 10, 10 years, I was in three different relationships. And each one was pretty much the same relationship. And I'm sure Julie hears this all the time, right? Where people come in like, I'm in the same relationship now. And I was like, I'm so tired of it. And I wanted to figure out what the theme was, like what is happening. And so I started kind of digging into all the tools that I had. Um, and at the same time, I was seeing clients go through similar issues with employees. They would lose great employees over and over again. They were having to hire people constantly, and they couldn't figure out why. They had cash flow problems constantly. They had profitability problems constantly. It didn't matter what we did on the business side of things. We could work on their systems and train their team and hire the right people and all these things. And I would see them go right back into the same problem, right? It's like it was just, you know, clockwork. So shift became an idea that I started practicing on myself first. And then I started using it with clients to see what they thought, but it's basically just, it's an acronym. So it means something one way and then it, it shifts to another meaning. But the first part of it is really just all about gaining awareness. So understanding your thoughts, understanding your, and when I say thoughts, I mean your old beliefs and your old and the, and the um, stories that you make up about yourself right or about something going on it helps you identify usually what the trigger is and what is that thing that is not necessarily good or bad but we perceive it to be that way and we have a big emotional reaction to it and then our thoughts come from that so what are the what am i thinking about myself as a as a result of that what are my old beliefs that you know probably were formed a long time ago and then what are my um, stories that I'm making up and then connected to that are the feelings. So what are the feelings that I'm having? Part of what I try to do is help my clients widen their vocabulary around emotions because, you know, most of the time people will say I'm mad or I'm angry or um, frustrated or whatever, or, or have anxiety. Like it's, it's a very few words that we use around anxiety, around <laughs> emotions. And so I help them kind of broaden that by showing them lots of different emotions and then intensity wise too to understand oh this is causing a pretty intense reaction like I really this is actually pretty big or this is not that big so just really for them again around awareness um, and from that then become our I call them your habitual reactions so what are your actions that you take as a result of these thoughts and feelings from this trigger are you numbing yourself? You know, are you drinking too much? Are you eating too much? Are you shopping? Are you getting on Facebook or social media? Um, do you go into some sort of fight, flight, or freeze reaction? You know, do you lash out at somebody? Do you withdraw and don't want to talk about it to anybody? You know, what are the things that you do consistently? Because I find that once people can see their patterns, they're like, 
Oh, and it takes the judgment out the way that we go through the process, which is nice. They don't, they don't get defensive. You know, they don't tend to make up a lot of excuses. They just kind of, cause I'm methodically leading them through this and they're like, Oh yeah, that's what I do. I need to figure out how not to do this. Don't I? <laughs> cause I keep creating the same problem. Um, and so then I teach them, I, well, I, the other piece of it is I teach them, I call them sensations. So where every emotion has a physiological reaction in the body or a feeling in the body. So where are you feeling your anger or your frustration or whatever it is and have them identify that. And then, so that's kind of the awareness building piece. And then it shifts into some, some tools to help kind of work through things. And I call it healing things. I don't know if it really hundred percent heals anything, but it, it definitely helps them start doing some practices to get through the, the challenge or the, the trigger, if it's something, you know, traumatic, or if it's something that they're identified as the, a very old wound and they've never done therapy, that is definitely my first um, recommendation is that we need to find them a good therapist because I'm not trying to do therapy with them. I'm really just trying to help them see what's happening for them and then guide them to the right tools that will help them get through it. So some of my clients have realized, oh, I have this really deep worthiness issue that I probably need to go to therapy about, you know, other people have realized that, Oh, well, my parents, you know, they always thought about money and now I stress out about money because of these things. So when this certain thing happens, I go into this anxiety place. That's not necessarily a therapeutic issue, but it's, you know, good to be aware of it. It's like, okay, am I making poor decisions around money because it's getting triggered? That, that issue is getting triggered by, you know, whatever's happening. So, it's that process and what I see that it does and what it did for me was it helps me see really who I am. And again, it's, it's that deeper dive into who you are. And I guess that's my purpose with it also to help people do a little more introspective work. Um, entrepreneurs and business owners tend to think, you know, everything's everybody else's fault. Their, you know, their team's not working. It's the team's fault. Their sales aren't going well. It's the salespeople's fault. You know, it's not their fault. So, I, I like people that take accountability and responsibility for things and want to change things. So it's kind of to help with that piece too, to help me identify. Yeah, it sounds like, like I was saying before, you've made your experiences into a superpower. Anyways, <laughs> just to, to go back to that. So anyways, yeah, and then, you said your your plan. You are working on writing about it, and so are you gonna are you gonna split that book up into to the various topics or in the phases or the steps, or how are you gonna build that up? Or are you gonna give huge examples from different companies um, you've worked with? You said small companies, so with small companies and so on, or or is there any particular focus that you're going to be putting into your book that is a really good question that's what i'm trying to figure out as i'm writing it um because yeah there's it almost feels like there's so much it's hard to get into a way that makes sense you know and that's not super boring at the same time because i want it to be interesting but yeah i mean i think I think my goal is to use my experiences and my stories as much as I can to help support 
whatever tool it is that I learned and how it helped me, right? Like using those personal stories. And then, and maybe the first part of the book will be about that. And the second part of the book will be about, you know, this is a process that I, that I put together. None of these tools are mine, right? Like I learned them from all these other teachers and I can, you know, connect obviously every piece of it to lots of different teachers. So that's the other part is like, it's not, I'm not, it's not, it's just the way that I like to teach it. And I think for people who haven't done a lot of this work, it's a really helpful tool to start going a little deeper, you know? So maybe the second half of the book will be more of that. Um, I also, the songs that I used to write were, you know, teenage angst written songs about, you know, hiding who I was and dealing with all that kind of stuff. And now the songs that I've written, I think in the last decade anyway, have been they're much more positive and inspirational, a much more uplifting message about things. Like I have a song called Dare to Dream, right? Like that's the song. So they have changed a lot and they're, and their intent and the meaning of them. And so I, I somehow want to include songs in there or links to songs if somebody wanted to do that. I just think music hits people in a different way sometimes than, than reading does. So um, yeah, so that's, so I don't know. That's a good question. It's gonna be a journey. I'm, I've written one draft that I'm like, okay, this is like chronological and it's super boring to read. <laughs> it's just like, well. So now I'm rearranging it and probably more in the areas of, of learning, you know, or the big, the big pieces, I guess. We'll see. Yeah, if, if you want, you're welcome to sing your song, Dare to Dream. <laughs> so anyways, no, okay. <laughs> All right, now, now. I, I could like I can uh, send you a link at some point, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well then then you can put the link in the give me the link for the show notes so that people can listen to it afterwards <laughs> so that they get an idea what you mean when you speak of these songs and so on. Um, yeah, so writing is, is an important topic to me as well, because I'm also guided to write and I've been writing all my life. So this writing process, where do you get the inspiration? You, you were speaking of from your own life and from other teachers, people who have taught these things and you've been putting it together in your own context and your own examples and so on. But when does it get you when does it inspire you when does it fire your imagination and get you your uh, i don't know how how to say it get your energy flowing and quicker and <laughs> uh well i mean honestly for me it's first thing in the morning i love the quiet of like 5 a.m i get up pretty early and so i will just get my cup of coffee and then i just Kind of, I journal for a little while usually to kind of get the juices flowing and then an idea will come in. It's hard writing like a book or, you know, because it, it feels very, I don't know, methodical almost, you know, I look at what I, what, what did I finish? Cause I don't, I'll write for maybe an hour and then I have to get ready to go do my job <laughs> or my business. Um, so I can't do it all day long, but I feel like, 
I look back at what I wrote yesterday and then I try to pick up kind of in that space. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it's really, that works. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, maybe I just write whatever I'm feeling and then I can figure out how to put that all together. But usually for me, it's first thing in the morning. I'm, I'm much more fresh and um, I feel much more creative at that point. So I get tired, you know, later on, I'm like, I'm too tired to do any of this now. So. How about you? When do you write? That, that's, that has been a surprise most of the time when I get to it. But I also had times where I just had a little book along and would walk um, while walking and flew somewhere and we had a little stop, I would write a poem or two, things like that. So there, there's many ways that it's that it has come to me. Writing can, comes in many ways. Yeah, one important thing is to have something to write on with you. <laughs> so, or something to dictate to if you're going to do it through dictation. But anyways, you need to have the materials with you and the wish to write. And then you have to allow it to happen. Yeah, and writing books is, is quite a quite a thing because you know you're going to be writing a lot. It's not just one or two pages or a short story. I mean, yes, a book can be a series of short essays or stories, right? But still, it's different than when you just um, write a poem or two or a short story or this or that. So yeah, it's it's quite interesting. So that's why I was asking in depth about it. Yeah, and I, and I found that speaking with people has been helpful. Or you know, getting some inspiration by actually talking about things. So I think your idea of getting into speaking engagements and talking about it is great. That's something I, I'm also into, right? Speaking more, sharing more. So I think that's also very helpful. And it's not necessary that the people have to have the same ideas as you do, because that's what you might a mistake you might get into. But you might find inspiration with people who are speaking about something totally different. And that's some I know there's this topic of benchmarking in business, right? And and things like that, where you can pick up companies can have totally different um, areas of expertise, but they can pick up the processes from each other and help each other out to get better at what they're doing. And it doesn't have to be the same area of product that they're putting out there. So I think that's very, very fascinating. Yeah, I was just going to say to that, um, in a lot of times you learn more things, right? Better things, because I mean, business is a great example, because in one industry, they may be doing something one way and it works really well. And then another industry can pick up from that industry and use it. And it's interesting when I meet client or prospective clients and they say, you know, are you an expert in, you know, web design or whatever the business is? And I'm like, no, but I'm an expert at business. Like I know the business part and I can help you learn because I've worked with lots of different types of businesses. So I know what works and the fundamentals are all the same. And, but yes, there can be new things that you learn in one area that you can apply. So that's a good point too about listening listening to other speakers that 
you know, aren't talking about the things I'm talking about and all the things you can learn. So I try to do that a lot. I love podcasts like yours and other things that I do other or books on tape. I'm not a big reader anymore. I tend to fall asleep now when I read for some reason, but like I can listen and I like when I drive, which I'm in the car quite a bit so I can, you know, do it there. So yeah, those are all great. Learning's always good. Yeah, that's a good thing about podcasts that you can listen to it while you're driving. <laughs> so you're providing material for people to listen to while they're driving or doing other things. Wonderful. <laughs> so yeah, I, I love the variety of people that I get on the podcast and this vast amount of expertise that is being shared. It's really, really amazing. So there's a lot to to say for having a podcast and having so wonderful guests on. Yeah. Are there any more comments or questions? Otherwise, I will continue with mine. Okay, it looks like I will be allowed to ask more questions. Yay! <laughs> so yeah, you were speaking about the various types of businesses that come to you whether and they have topics with web design or with with keeping their their personnel happy or whatever else that might be do you do you do group coachings or is it just for the bosses or or how how does that work <clears throat> yeah i do a combination so i i definitely like coaching the business owner because i think a lot of business owners you know are passionate about what they do and then before they know it, it grows, they have employees, but they don't really understand how to manage very well or lead very well. You know, they're really good at their product or service, but they're not always great at the whole business. And they don't always know the right business things to do. You know, they don't understand the financials, they don't understand processes, all that kind of stuff. So I do a lot of coaching with them individually. And then if they have a team, I'll do definitely team coaching where we'll I like helping people understand their kind of communication styles and work styles and how they're different from people on their team and then how they can, how they complement each other, but also how they have some challenges, you know, how they might have some challenges. So we talk through those types of things. Um, I do something I call strategic thinking execution planning, where we do like quarterly meetings for like a day where we'll plan out the next 90 days of their business and the next 90 day goals and their action plans. And that's usually with the owner and their kind of management team. So get everybody on the same page. It's just really important for, I think, everybody to know where they're going, what their vision is, what their mission is, but also how they're going to get there, you know. If, the, if just the owner knows that, it doesn't make any sense. Nobody, nobody's, all, you know, you're gonna have buy-in from people. So you want you want everybody to be on board creating so, on those times. Yeah, I think one of the big topics these days is diversity and and being willing to engage in that. So you were speaking of that and. So there may be other things coloring the experience that people are having, whether it's, you know, like you said, sexual orientation, their skin color or whatever, their background, 
and so on and so forth. And all of this plays a role, but it also, there's other things where people are not aware of their talents, right? And they, or the other people in the team are not aware of their talents or not willing to let them bring that into the team. How do you go about um, opening the, the space so that all this expertise that is being wasted basically because of this, the environment, because of different structural things, maybe the ideas of role boundaries, right? Because there's roles in, in, in companies often, right? You, you're, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that. So if, if someone doesn't do exactly what they're supposed to be doing according to their contract or whatever, and they may not be allowed to step over those boundaries, even if they have expertise that would help the company. What do you do about these situations? Because I think that's a very common issue in, in workspaces that people have something to contribute, but there's no way for them to do that because of various boundaries that are set up. Yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of it is helping the business owner understand, I guess, what they actually need in the business to grow, right? And then helping them get more in tune with what individual people do well and what they don't do so well. So there's assessment called Strength Finders. You've probably heard of it um, by Gallup, and you can take that assessment and it tells you your top five strengths and the idea with the strengths finders is to play to your strengths do more of that don't try to fix your weaknesses right just focus on what you're really good at the top five things and i think that's a really good message um i've had situations where you know there's a team in place and one of the employees isn't doing that great and whatever their job is and if we do the disc profile we do strengths finders and we see what what they're good at who and how they work really well and then have a conversation with them obviously to find out what they really want to be doing sometimes there's a better fit of the company you can kind of shift them into something that they're going to do really well and they're excited about it and they want to stay other times there may not be that opportunity and so it just kind of depends on i think the business and how because you can't you can't just let every employee, you know, say, well, I really like this, so I want to do this, right? You might, it would be kind of chaotic. <laughs> so you have, there has to be a plan to it. But I think, again, it comes back to probably the owner just being more open and willing to get to know his employees, her employees, to find out what are you really good at? What do you really want to be doing here? You know, um, what are you excited about? And I've had lots of people that I've worked with where they can see, like, oh, well, maybe if we shift this person here, they're going to do much better and be happier and um, more productive and be able to do the things that they want to do. And it's going to be better for the company overall. So just really, I think it's, you have to have the right leader, you know, who's okay with those, doesn't think they know everything. The best leaders are the ones that are like, I know this and I'm going to hire people who know this, you know, and they're going to help me round everything out. Because if you think you know everything and you think you know what's best, it's going to be pretty boring to work for you. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like you're speaking of the idea that, that one is the boss and therefore one has to say everything. 
or do everything the way that they say it versus the boss that says, okay, this per I'm going to have people who are good at this. Even if I know a lot about it, I'm going to let them also play out their expertise and so on. And, and that, that this expands their expertise as well. They don't have to be dependent on everything being done exactly as they say it, but to, as the, so to speak, as the company says it, in other words, the company becomes its own entity, so to speak, in a way, okay. rather than rather than the boss being the, boss the entity. Being entity. Yeah, I mean, and that ultimately is, I mean, it's, that has to be the goal. If you actually want a business, it can't be all about you. You know, it has to be, it has to function on its own. So I, I see a lot of people who've just really created a job for themselves because if they're not there, that business is not making money. And if you really want a business, it's an asset. It has to stand on its own. It has to be able to make money when you're not there. And then you have to be able to sell it at some point. And you can't sell yourself. Nobody's going to buy a business if they have to buy you to come with it. They want just the business. So, yeah, I think that's, um, I don't know. To me, that's just a smart way to like grow a business. Like, okay, I need to find people who know more about this than I do. And then let's put those things in place. And even if that person leaves, right, we have processes and we have training so that when we bring somebody else in, that's what that person, that's what that new person does. But it can be replicable, you know, depending on, whoever's there, so. Yeah, that's an interesting point about the, the business that works when you're not there, if you're the one organizing it, versus the business that doesn't work when you're not there. <laughs> but the, the other thing about the replaceability of people, that, so that can, that can be a tricky one because do you want that or, or or not, right? Do you want people to be replaceable in the sense that the next person does exactly the same things so they don't even have to think about it much, they just have to follow protocol? Or do you want people who, who come in with their with ideas and actually um, add to the value in their own way? So I don't know how you bridge that. That, that sounds like, you know, sounds like it doesn't fit together but maybe you have methods for that to fit together <clears throat> well i'll say that there are obviously jobs in businesses that have to be done a certain way right like accounting you don't want to you don't want somebody coming in and saying i'm going to change the entire way we do accounting <laughs> you don't want that so there are certain things that have to be done a certain way but yes, you're right. You want you want people engaged to share ideas, to bring innovation. If you're not doing that, your business is not going to grow. I mean, you just you know, it's just going to plateau, and it's going to be really boring to work there. So it's kind of that weird balance of, um, as a business owner, I think protecting yourself against people who leave your company, and that's what happens, right? Employees, oh, I want to go do this now, and they leave, and so. If they're the only one that knows how to do a certain job and you don't have any training products around it, processes or anything like that, or training manuals, um, it's very hard. You have to replicate all that. You have to teach somebody everything from scratch. You know, it's a very hard, very big learning curve. But if you have 
this is how this job is done, at least an outline, and then you hire somebody who knows basically how that job is done, then they can fill in the gaps and do the job the way it needs to be done. Um, but yes, they need to bring their ideas. I think when you have a team, what I've seen with my small businesses that I work with is that the more you get them engaged in what are we creating here as a team? This is not just my company. I'm the owner. I started it, whatever. But I really want this to be kind of a group effort. So the more that those individuals get involved in that, and, in, and even if they have specific jobs that they're doing, but they're involved in the overall vision and setting the goals and the mission and the values and all that stuff, the more buy-in they have to being a part of that. They want to be part of something, you know, and they need to be paid a different, decent wage, but it's amazing what people would do when they feel like they're a part of this thing and they get to help it grow and they get to put their stamp on it. And that's wonderful because you feel, you know, it's much more fulfilling to do that than just to go in for a paycheck, you know? So yeah, I think it's a very, there's a very interesting question that you had because I'm all about innovation and creativity, but at the same time, you got to contain it because it's like, if everybody's going up in their own direction, it's just like, okay, this is, nothing's going to work. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> yeah, so so that, that sounds a lot like what writers have to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> Their ideas can go all over the place. Uh, how much structure do you need? How much creativity, and how much and to keep it exciting, right? Because if because if it's only structure, you're gonna get really bored very fast. <laughs> and if it's only it's only creativity, um, you might not be able to get your point across. So, what? How do you balance that? This is a hard question. I don't know. I mean, the more that I'm kind of reading about some of these things, like writing a book, the example that you went back to, you know, the more I'm reading about how to write a book, it sounds like it comes a lot from intuition. Like, what do you feel like is the right thing to write about in that moment? Um, but yeah, it still needs to kind of make sense and fit together in a way where, you know, if somebody else reads it, it's it's like, okay, this makes sense. If somebody else reads stuff that's, you know, all over the place, it's, and they're not going to read it. <laughs> so it's like, but, and maybe that's part of it too, like not getting stuck on the outcome as much. It's like just focus on the process. And I think that's what's true a lot in business. When you focus on the process, eventually the outcome works, but the process has to be in place. And if you don't have that in place, it's chaos, and, you know? So it's probably, I'm guessing, maybe similar, hopefully. I'm gonna try to apply that to my book writing and see if that helps me. I don't know. Yeah, great. Yeah, maybe you wanna share about that <laughs> once you've done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So we're we're slowly coming to the time for wrap ups. So is there anything you would like to share about that I haven't asked about that I haven't delved into that is very important to you or that you just feel heartwarmed to speak about now? Hmm. 
No, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like we've covered a lot. It's been a, it's been a big discussion. It's been great. Um, I don't know. I think I, it's, it's exciting to find people like you who are doing these types of podcasts because they all, you know, they're pretty rare, honestly. So I think that, I don't know, just wanted to say thank you for having me on and for doing this because, you know, I've listened to several of your podcasts and you have such a great way with people and, you know, the topics are always very different and interesting and, yeah, it's just interesting what the internet can do now, isn't it? How we can connect each other and learn about each other and yeah, do all those things. So anyway, I don't know. That's really all I have to share, I guess. Thank you and keep doing it. It's awesome. And I can't wait to read your book. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to read my own book too when it's there. Because, <laughs> you know, I have, I have about... 82 or 83 handwritten pages written but but it's still totally exciting because you once you get back you're writing again and so on you know sometimes there's breaks and then you're not able to write or you don't feel you don't get into it i know that i wrote a book before but i haven't published it where i set a goal of how many pages per week i would get done right and so it was like five pages a week and I would write one page a day. And if I didn't get to it, I'd um, I would do more the next day or whatever. And I did get, I did get a book written that way. Right. Even if it's not published, it, it was finished. Right. In the sense of having, having a raw book, book written. Right. Of course you need to, you could do a lot of editing and work on it afterwards. But anyways, that's the, but that that's one step in the, the in writing a book so yeah it's, and i'm i'm very like i said i'm very excited to have so many different and diverse guests and and to be that are willing to engage in this conversation about being who we are remembering who we are remembering that we all are equal that we all are absolutely valuable and and yeah learning from that because there's there's so many new aspects to it that you can look into and so yeah in the course in miracles it's all about this remembering who we are right know thyself i think is also part of a course in miracles like in many other teachings is a, a core value right is to know oneself so i think your your story demonstrates that that was really important to you to, is to know yourself to to value that and to get help in that process and to be willing to engage in it now you've made it to your 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 profession right to, to use this know-how of knowing yourself for in the, the processes with people who are are absolutely also in need of knowing themselves right <laughs> so yeah it's amazing well thank you i appreciate it <laughs> yes it's been a journey it's funny when you're you're in the middle of it 
you know, you kind of look at your life like, what am I doing? You know, it feels like this crazy zigzag of stuff that makes no sense at all. And then now being a little older and looking back, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess all those things fit together and it makes sense. And, you know, it's how you end up where you end up, I guess. And, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, let's see. I know we, we talked about where inspiration comes from, when it comes and so on, but is there, is there some, and also about unity and about all this being in the present, you mentioned all of that. How do you put all this together into, into this experience that you cherish so much because i think you're cherishing your experience a lot how do you put it all together hmm that's a good question um i think for me it's just there's something about the holistic nature of all of these things and how everything is connected you know um, years ago, I was a personal trainer. I got really into exercise and yoga and stuff. And so I was, I started seeing how the more I exercised, the better I felt mentally and emotionally, right? Connection. And I felt like I felt more and more. So I think all older through the years has been connection between all of these pieces you know, the holistic aspect for me i guess the biggest thing that i've learned is that more present i can be in whatever thing the better everything on the outside of my life or the external parts of my life seem to function so my relationships are better my work is better financial situations better health is better everything just kind of flows better, um, but it all starts with having to be present. And there are days where that's really hard just because whatever's going on, maybe I'm too tired or there's too much in my head and I just can't seem to do it. And then there's days where you just feel like, you know, I'm sure you have it. You're in the flow of everything. You just, everything feels really good. So, and that idea that wherever you are is in permanent and it's going to change tomorrow or maybe the minutes even so you know hold on and things will be a little different <laughs> if you want them to be but um yeah i don't know if i answered your question exactly but that's what that's what came to me <laughs> yeah you you had a lot of um things that you spoke about about this so putting it all together discovering that it works together right because you were like i'm sure you have exercises for people when you do these things to to enable them to see the things more clearly or in a different way because like in a course in miracles it says you can't change the world but you can change the way you see it right you can change your mind about it so I think that's that's one of the, the big things is when you change your mind about a person, right? For instance, they can actually thrive in a very different way if you change your mind in a way that 
is is more loving, more open, more joining, more equal, right? Recognizing equality and so on. I think that changes everything for your experience and for theirs as well. And so, yeah, you were speaking about also having had a time where you were changing partners a lot, right? And so I suspect when you say it's become more smooth and so on, that it, you're not changing partners as often as at that in that period. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I finally, I think, I figured out what was happening, you know, through that whole process. And then I've been with Mandy now. I mean, we're not together that long. It's almost four years, but it's a really good relationship, much healthier. Um, we communicate really, really well. <clears throat> and she's just, we're just a really good fit for each other. Just, you know, our talents and abilities. And she's a musician too. So we play music together and that's really fun. So, but Yes, that's been that's been probably I would say relationships and then financials have been probably my biggest areas of of growth and working on trying to figure those pieces out. So <laughs> evolving, hopefully. So now I would like to thank you a lot for being so open about these topics that are can be very distressing to many people, right? And that were at times in your life, they were for long periods of your life, they must've been very distressing to you. So um, I'm happy you speak about it and that you've been able to let go of a lot of the issues you had around it because of, yeah, it, it just is the way it is, right? And that you were open about that. So uh, thank you for that. And yeah, this conversation just needs to go on, right? And you're gonna have it when, wherever you come to, you'll have, you'll have the continuation. And yeah, if things come around again and again, like you said, that's also an interesting thing to look at, right? And you gave us some tools to, to go about that, right? To look at it, to see it and to, perhaps change your mind about things so that it no longer needs to happen that way anymore. <laughs> but if it doesn't, then you'll just, you can repeat it as often as you like. I guess there's no, no definite number of times you, you're allowed to repeat something. <laughs> I think you're allowed to repeat it <laughs> endless times. <laughs> And if there's something to get out of it, that's wonderful that you can, right? And so, yeah. And I think the, the other point we spoke about is that when one gets to a certain point, one realizes that one's not alone, right? So that's, so that, that is healthier. I suspect it's healthier than the, the staying in the point where you think you're alone. Right, because in A Course in Miracles, it of course it says you're never alone. Right, if you knew who was walking beside you, you'd never fear anything. Right, or something like that. Similar the types of expressions you can find in A Course in Miracles, so that you can. So it's very fascinating to to see that that it never was true that you were alone, even if you feel that way right now. It still isn't. It, it still isn't the truth of the matter 
but it may be your experience at this very moment. And it's very important to be willing to, yeah, know, maybe it's good to know that that doesn't have to, doesn't necessarily stay that way. It can, but it doesn't have to. So, and, and I think I've heard it again and again that people have come beyond that and realized they're not alone with what they're going or what they're thinking or what they're talking about. Okay, and I would also like to thank all listeners and people. Please spread the word about this podcast so that more people can listen to it, watch it. Please review it and subscribe because that just makes it available for me, more people. So thank you once again, Kim. Thank you. It's great to get to know you and hang out with you a little while. Yeah, and one more thing, let's yeah. let's just let you verbally express how one can reach you if one wants to. Oh, um, let's see. I have a website, kimikoff.com. So it's my last name is E-I-C-K-H-O-F-F. It's not an easy one. Um, you can email me at kim at kimikoff.com, K-I-M, or... Uh, yeah, those are probably the best ways. Like, check out the website. You can fill out a form there. You can shoot me an email. So, so thank you, everyone. And till next time, blessings. <laughs>